Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Arcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... Starting in 1996, a worldwide phenomenon known as Pokemon began to take over the zeitgeist. They were cute, they were cuddly, and this strange little uh, animal cruelty simulator became everyone's favorite pastime. (laughs) I'm really excited to talk about this because this is a a, a rare thing that I don't have a ton of nostalgia or experience for uh, just because of when it came out. Uh, so this will be uh, a really interesting one to, to sink our teeth into, but I am not doing it alone. I, I have a guest here. He is the host of the Tales from the Backlog podcast, which is really wonderful and worth your time. Uh, so please make sure you check that out. David Jackson, I choose you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm ready to go. Whatever you need me to do. You need me to kill some small animals? I'm ready to... Well, maybe not that, but... <laughs> well, we'll take out some Zubats could have could have phrased that better. Yeah. <laughs> In in a cartoonish way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so <laughs> this is probably the biggest thing we've ever done on the show. We've done games, we've done movies, we've done TV shows and things. And this is sort of this mega transmedia property that is all of those things and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we have a lot to talk about. But uh, Dave, I just want to start off with your personal memories of Pokemon. You know, where where did you first encounter this and, and uh, some of your favorite memories of doing this as a kid? Right. So this started with Christmas in 1998. My brother and I both got Game Boys and we both got Pokemon Red and Blue. I got Red, he got Blue. And this was unexpected. Like I did not, we did not ask for this for Christmas. This was uh, just a spontaneous, yeah, I, I don't know what was going on. Like, I don't know. My parents were like plugged into what the hot gift was that holiday season or something, but like we we didn't maybe we asked for Game Boys, but I had never heard of Pokemon. So we got it and it turns out that like when we got back to school um after Christmas break, everyone got it. So it was this kind of magical thing. It was the first time I experienced like everybody, you know, playing the same game and then later watching the same show and all that stuff. So one memory I have from that early time playing the game was it was the first RPG I ever played. So I didn't know you could save because <laughs> um, it, it doesn't have auto saves. It's like if you remember Pokemon Red and Blue, it's in the menu. It's not hidden from you. I just didn't know that that was a thing you did. So 
I would start the game up. I would play through the first couple of gyms. You know, it'd take an hour or two, and then it was time to go to bed or time to eat dinner or whatever. And as soon as the Game Boy had to be shut off, Pokemon Save was gone. Then the next day, started a new game, got through the first couple gyms. I did this all of Christmas break until we went back to school and someone, you know, called me an idiot and was like, hey, in the menu, save your game. That's how the rest of us have like beaten the game by now. <laughs> so that's the early memory of playing Pokemon. And me and my brother played together like all the time. Yeah, I you you hit on something I'd forgotten about, which were these incidents where, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. And so I, I cut my teeth mostly on the NES. And there were mm-hmm. a handful of NES games where you could save your progress on the cartridge, there were an, another handful where there was like a password system that allowed you to pick up where you mm-hmm. left off. But most NES games, yeah, if you turned off the machine, that was it. Game over until you try it again. Right. And I remember having nights where I would leave that thing on pause all through the night so I would not lose <laughs> yeah. what I was doing. And you couldn't do that with a Game Boy because the batteries would run out. So oh, yeah. it was literally like, you know... If the and if the batteries died when you're playing, of course your progress is gone. So that was um that was cool. So I'm intimately familiar with the first two hours of Pokemon Red. I know everything about when, it. When you say Game Boy, did you, was it the so, the gray brick, the original Game Boy that you had, or no? This was the uh, the Game Boy Pocket. Okay, the slightly upgraded one. I it well, yeah. you mentioned Red and Blue. I think it's worth kind of for for our audience who doesn't know. This is where Pokemon started. Is these two video games that are actually the same mm-hmm. game in yep. a bit of like marketing genius or exploitation, depending on how you look at it. Because yes. you needed both games to. There were certain Pokemon to collect that were unique to one or the other. So if you really wanted to get them all, you had to work with a friend or own both games to to get the one that was on the cartridge mm-hmm. you didn't have. Yeah, it and luckily, you know, like I said, my brother had the other version, so we were able to trade with each other. Uh, but there was tons of, you know, trading going on at school too, because my brother was uh, much younger than not much younger. He's four years younger, but like young enough that like we didn't hang out at school, you know. So we traded and stuff at home, and that was super helpful. And they totally got us because like we did red and blue like that. We always had to have both versions, and then. When Yellow came out, we both got a copy of Yellow because we weren't going to share it. And then when Gold and Silver came out, we each got one of those, and it continued until we were old enough to buy our own games. So that marketing trick uh, really got us. I mean, there is no way my parents were going to put up with the complaining that we would have done if we had to just share one copy. Oh, I, I got two kids. I know. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's, there's uh, we're not going to buy two of every toy. So you would be amazed the amount of fighting they do over the smallest piece of plastic, mm-hmm. let alone something like a video game, right. which uh, thankfully my son is mostly too young for. So that's more my daughter's area. And she's not a huge gamer yet either. Mm-hmm. But uh, you mentioned you mentioned this is an RPG. Um, we did do an episode on Final Fantasy VI, which is also a, an RPG. And it's an interesting choice to make this game borrow that format because it's not all that different in terms of the way it plays. You're, you're right. taking turns against a, an AI opponent, selecting what kind of move you're going to do, uh, and which Pokemon you're going to use to go up against that uh, that enemy. And you just take turns until one of you uh, runs out of juice, basically. Right. Yeah, it was um, the first type of game I played like that. Up until that, I had just played like, 
you know, action platformers or beat-em-ups on the Game Gear or sports games and stuff like that. Never played an RPG before, so that was the first one. And so, like, I when you and I were talking um, about doing this episode and you said that you, you don't have nostalgia for this because you're older and doing other stuff, I, I was wondering, like, so from your perspective, because I got pulled into this because it was the hot thing for kids my age. But from your perspective, did this just not appeal as an RPG? Because I listened to your Final Fantasy VI episode, and I know that you know you were playing RPGs at the time. I was. You know, what's interesting was there was a gap in sort of my, not in, in my game enthusiasm, but in my console enthusiasm. So uh-huh. in the late 90s, the the SNES which I had been playing was you know was done I did not really jump to the N64 or the the Sony PlayStation at the time I was doing a lot more PC gaming and so oh, okay. I, and I was definitely not into portable gaming so Pokemon at the, at the time I was maybe what 17 when this started to really come into prominence so it seemed like it was more for kids the way it was marketed was very much marketed towards nine-year-olds and so at the time i'm like no no no. i want to play these you know weird point and click adventures i was going to play if i was going to play an rpg it was going to be like final fantasy seven or eight mm-hmm. and uh so yeah and plus as i was getting into you know at that time i was didn't have a lot of gaming time i was pretty busy with at the end of high school and the beginning of college so this one was just sort of a phenomenon that kind of passed me by i was aware of it uh, you couldn't not be just because of osmosis it, this thing right. was everywhere <laughs> Uh, like to to a degree that I can't think of a phenomenon that's kind of come by since that's had this kind of ubiquity. I mean, to some degree, maybe the Harry Potter franchise was, I mean, that's pretty big or now, you know, the MCU, mm-hmm. but this was sort of even more of a, like, you know, a transmedia thing. And then you had combined that, like the entire thing was go catch them all. And it just like, right. Oh no, you couldn't just, uh, dip your toes in this you had to kind of jump in you know, with both feet and do everything so yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of a time sink did not feel like it was like this is not for me right now and then just i never really doubled back to it but yeah i mean i, I don't have anything against pokemon it was just sort of like i was wrong place wrong time sort of for me right yeah I don't know if you can hear this my dog is going ape shit in the background right now on his He's bed adorable. it is cracking me up yeah, he's he's super cute, but he's very angry at his bed right now for some reason. Um, the collecting part of Pokemon was the other thing that, like, once I started playing it, it was, like, perfect for me. I don't know if my parents knew this, and that's why they got this, but maybe not. But um, I collected cards when I was younger than Pokemon. Uh, so in the mid-'90s, I was collecting basketball cards, and I had a ton of basketball cards. So the collecting aspect of Pokemon like really appealed to me too uh because I had the collecting gene back then. I don't I don't really care about collecting anymore. I still play Pokemon now. I don't care about collecting them all cuz it's basically impossible unless you want to lose your life to it. There's literally over a thousand of them now. So yeah, I I don't have as much of that collector gene as well and I know that's part of the DNA of this franchise that the the creator of the game has talked about how he just loved collecting bugs as a kid. And that sort of marries up with, you know, a a game design philosophy where a lot of games will have go collect all the doodads. 
in the game as a yeah. as a side thing to do, maybe not as the focus, but like even like mm-hmm. a, a prestige game that now modern audiences would know a lot, like The Last of Us. Like there's still like go find all of the little comic books and stuff. It doesn't do anything other than kind of mm-hmm. maybe add a little extra texture to the story. But it, it's like game designers can't resist like, well, we we made this world. We want you to explore it. We can't really fill it with everything being interesting. But here's some doodads. If you go over to this corner, you'll find a, you know, a shiny object. Hey, I still find that to be interesting in Pokemon in a way that I don't find it interesting in The Last of Us, for example. Like, I'm not collecting all of them, but I do catch all the new Pokemon I find uh, in an area because it's interesting to find them, think about how I can use them on my team, even though the games are not difficult enough to require you to think that way. I still like that as a, a part of like the core game design is that you're finding party members out around the world, not just uh, little collectibles to check off the list. I mean, they are collectibles to check off the list, but they are part of your core gameplay too. Right. They, they have to make that rewarding because sometimes I think, yeah. you know, especially for people who are the, you know, collect them all type that, you know, that really appeals to them. There's like a certain OCD-ness mm-hmm. to that that can almost feel yeah. abusive in the design where you look at like Breath of the Wild and there's 999 or whatever Koroxes spread out <laughs> with no indicators uh-huh. as to where they are. And it's literally like, hey, do you want to just wander over thousands of square miles of pixels to find these things? Because mm-hmm. you can do it. And the reward for doing it is, I think, nothing as far as I remember in that game. There's like virtually nothing for doing it. Uh, yeah. And you can't build a game around the go find them all mechanic if, if there's no actual reward for it. Right. Yeah. And so that's that's it's one of the things that makes Pokemon replayable if you want to replay the the same game. But also, you know, people complain about how the series hasn't taken enough risks with the gameplay. But what you're still doing is you're always discovering new things to uh, fight with and new parties to create. And that's always interesting to me, even if I wish they would take more risks, like above putting in new characters in every game. So it like, but back then there was only 150 and then 151, which is a very manageable number of things to collect. Now there's over a thousand and it's just not going to happen there. I am not willing to put forth the effort to get over a thousand things that are mostly not even available in the new games anyway, nor should you, (laughs) you know, there's, there's a certain amount of that, which is like getting back to some of these other games where there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of trophies to find and stuff. And it's like, you know, you can do it if you want to, but it's sort of like saying, yeah, we wanted to give you a buffet. You don't need to eat everything at the buffet. We just, we just want to make it available to you if you right. feel like exploring. The, yeah, the, the design ethos that says you should collect all thousand of these, that's a problem. Well, they're, they've given up on that because uh, the new games don't have all of them. They've kind of said, like, you can't do it. The only way to get all a thousand in one place is like in the the Pokemon home, which is like a collecting app basically you can transfer them into this kind of cloud app i don't know how it works but they're there they're not actually in your new switch game anymore so Hmm. but back then again 151 and then later 251 it was very manageable you could you could do it and i did do it i i got all 150 on the original games and then i game sharked my way into all 250 in the next generation 
Hey, little buddy, want a ride? Pikachu! Yeah, whatever! I'll be right back! Where can you catch all 150 Pokémon? On your Game Boy, that's where. Pokémon for Game Boy is here. With both packs, you can catch them all. Games and systems sold separately. So you said you were 17 at the time. So were people playing it at at your school? I'm sure someone was. Um, I was not aware of who or was not playing it. Video games tend to okay. be more of a solitary pastime for like teenagers in the late 90s. At least that was my experience of like I had a few friends that I'd talk about games with or we'd go over to each other's houses and play like Street Fighter and stuff. But it wasn't, you know, right. this this whole thing of like collectively playing Pokemon together was kind of unique to this franchise. At least this is the first one that really tried to do something like this where you had these separate, you know, you would actually be connecting your Game Boy to somebody else's Game Boy to do something like that. That I mean, that, that was the mm-hmm. first of its kind. So it wasn't even in like yeah. a lexicon of like, this is how games work. At least that was, again, that's my okay. experience. So th- let me kind of paint the picture of what it was like at my school then, because it was chaos <laughs> at my bad. school. Everybody was obsessed with Pokemon. There were link cables going across, like between desks in the middle of class. Uh, there was like kids huddled together out at recess with their Game Boys and then later Pokemon cards to the point where like, everything Pokemon got banned from school because they just couldn't get anything accomplished because we were all, it was like cocaine for fifth graders. It was crazy. So we were all trading, talking about it at lunchtime. Um, you know, I got this Pokemon. I need this Pokemon. What do you need? I got you covered. Like, let's, let's, uh, let's help each other out here. Um, their Pokemon, they did this in the game, a really smart thing that became annoying later, but there are certain Pokemon that, you cannot get unless you trade. They evolve by trading. And so if you wanted to get all of them, you had to trade with people. Mm. And that was, um, once that barrier was broken, then you become, you trade, hey, I got an extra of this one. What do you need? Like uh, version specific Pokemon. It was all really well thought out by them to get people uh, to work with each other to complete this. Well, that playground aspect of, of sharing game stuff, that that I did have. It wasn't literally hooking up a cable uh, to somebody else's console. But I have strong right. memories, especially back in the pre-internet days, you know, when I grew up, where there was uh-huh. no way to just go online and check. Um, there were some games that had some really obtuse puzzles or features in them. I'm thinking specifically of like Simon's Quest, uh, for for example, uh-huh. you know, a game that's notorious for having stuff to do in it that you're supposed to do. And God knows how you're supposed to figure out how to do it. And so you'd have this yeah. collective <laughs> hive mind of third through fifth graders playing this game. And I remember mm-hmm. having, you know, pe- you talk to people about like, oh, did you go and kneel over at this spot if you hold down? And you put your character over here for like three seconds, this tornado will appear and, and take you somewhere. And so there would be this right. like weird um, like game of telephone happening between us and all the other kids to to try and solve these things. And uh, I, I'm amazed that anybody that we ever figured out how to get past some of this stuff in those days. So this was sort of like, as you said, it's almost like taking that idea and then pumping it up with steroids to be like, no, you're literally going to hook your game up with the other kids on the playground and you're going to be playing simultaneously to achieve these goals. Right. Yeah. There was, there was so many of those playground rumors about Pokemon too, like secret Pokemon, like, Mm -hmm. um, 
there's the famous rumor about there's a truck in the game and you have a move that lets you move boulders. And there's a rumor that if you kind of glitch the game so you can get over to this truck and if you push it, then it'll have a Mew under it or a new Pokemon called Pika Blue and all these rumors. And this was, it's interesting. Like I thought that this was like just kids at our school sharing these, but I've heard so many people talking about these same rumors and this was 1998. I didn't have the internet at my house. I don't know many people like who had more than just like the AOL uh, like discs at that time. So we weren't like spending all the time on the internet. I was never spending time on the internet. So it's interesting to me that these rumors got so like proliferated, unless it was like in Nintendo Power or something, in which case that's why. But it, it the playground knowledge and then the actual playground like sharing of the game itself um, was was crazy. And then when Pokemon cards came out, it was like almost to another level because that's like physical stuff. It was like uh, like black market trading almost on the on the playground. Well, I'm glad you, you mentioned the the card game because it, it, all of this stuff started to kind of hit right around the same time. Like you had the two Game Boy games, which is where it started. But then mm-hmm. almost immediately there was this, you know, there was a trading card game not terribly dissimilar to mm-hmm. something like Magic the Gathering, which was pretty popular back then. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you got the the anime show, and not long after that, movies. Like, it, they just they just sort of knew they had lightning in a bottle, I think, because they must have had all of this stuff in the pipeline at once. Yeah, and I, I wonder, because, you know, the games came out a couple years earlier in Japan than they did in the U.S., so I don't know if this was like this craze in Japan that we just didn't hear about until the craze started in the U.S. as well. I was too young to to follow what was going on in gaming in Japan back then. Um, but you're right. It was like kind of in my memory, as soon as we had beaten the game and started to get close to collecting them all, now there were cards and now there's a movie coming out and there's an anime show and all of this, like all together, it's Pokemon from all directions. And like each of them hit on stuff that I liked. I liked watching TV. I liked watching cartoons. I liked collecting cards. As I said before, it was like, <laughs> they're targeting me specifically me with yeah, all it's of this da- it's stuff. Dave poison yeah exactly and it was like it ended up being uh the first anime i ever watched was the pokemon anime and um the first like card game like i collected basketball cards but the first card game that i learned how to play um other than you know uno or something like that was the pokemon trading card game hey guys get out of here you don't want to play Introducing the Pokemon trading card game for Game Boy. You can learn all the secrets and strategies you'll need to become a true Pokemon master trainer rated E for everyone. A Thunder Punch combined with the paralyzing attack move makes Electabuzz arguably the best R-Round Pokemon in the game. Limited edition card inside. Gotta catch them all. All it opened up all these other like aspects too now i don't love anime now but i love card games pokemon was the first one I, you know i i did play a little magic that was the one that i was somewhat into because i had friends that wanted to play magic the gathering a bunch so i still somewhere in my parents house i have that like batch of cards that i started with for that but i remember when when the nice. pokemon ones came around um, and that was starting to kind of penetrate even in high school i remember there were some people who were playing it I remember feeling like, oh, this is 
the barrier to entry here is is high because it's just like oh i gotta get all of these cards and i gotta know all of this stuff and it's like you have to like internalize Mm -hmm. this whole franchise to sort of to get on board with it but in fact i wasn't even sure i for some reason i had had it in my head for a long time that the the cards were first and then the games and then the show came along i couldn't even keep track of what was coming from what direction and when Um, right (laughs) but i yeah i've never actually played any of the card game i assume it's fairly similar to some other card games like it yeah i i honestly can't compare it to other games because i didn't play the other games um and i i didn't honestly play the the card game that much in real life um but what i did do was they had the game boy color pokemon trading card game and i got that that taught me how to play the card game and then my brother and i had a bunch of cards we played each other one time and then we just went back to collecting because it is i guess this is true with any physical card game but it's like it's just real hard to just pick up cards and play pokemon cuz you have to have a you have to have the energy cards you have to have you know specific evolution cards uh in order to do anything effectively or at least back then i don't know what it's like now but it, it was definitely more fun to just collect the cards than it was to play. Well, I could see that. I, I mean, I remember really liking the the art of magic cards. I remember thinking they just look as like mm-hmm. a physical object. This is a neat thing to look at and feeling kind of yeah. flummoxed by the game itself. And then realizing that there were people mm-hmm. out there who were collecting these hyper rare cards and putting all this time and money into it. Where like, oh, I, I can't, I don't even, I barely know what I'm doing in this game. I'm never going to beat anybody who is a master at this um, we haven't even really talked about what pokemon actually are for anyone who doesn't know these they're, yeah. it's a portmanteau of pocket monster <laughs> and they're like the cutest little monster creatures ever designed yeah the, that's one of the keys and i think that's why it hit with young kids so much is because they are mostly they're either very cute or very badass looking to a 11 year old and they're also like wildly imaginative in terms of their design. A lot of them look like mm-hmm. they're combinations of plants and animals or animals and other animals in ways that feel very like kid logic to me, especially now watching my own kids mm-hmm. like start to you know draw a lot. My daughter yeah. might be like, oh, yeah, here I made a giraffe bear. You know, I'm like, Gir- yeah, congratulations. Giraffe a bear is now your new Pokemon. <laughs> Exactly. What if uh what if a horse was on fire and could shoot fire? That's a Pokémon. Do you have a favorite design or um you know the I I've always been a, a dog lover, so uh, Growlithe and Arcanine were always some of my favorites. Um of the starters, I always my first game I went with Charmander, so that Charmander Charmeleon Charizard is always very special to me. Those were definitely my favorites. I guess they're all fire type from the beginning, so the fire types, I suppose. Uh, but, you know, of the original 150, and then I guess you could extend that to the next one too, the original 250. I like the designs of like basically all of them. I'm, I was so in the pocket for all of that, that I can't really, until you start getting into um, Gen 3 and Gen 4, then they start to be some designs where I'm like, eh, you know, you're you're kind of out of ideas here, aren't you? But of those original ones, I have nostalgia for basically all of them. I, I really do like these designs a bunch. And even without nostalgia for uh, Pokemon directly myself, 
I, I mm-hmm. did play uh, most of the entries in the Super Smash Brothers franchise, which is, yeah, for, for yeah. those who don't know, that is a tournament fighting video game where you get to pick different Nintendo characters and you uh, have little, like, basically boxing matches against each other. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of Pokemon stuff in the game. You can pick several Pokemon to play. Um, there's also little, like, trophies or ways they kind of have them show up in different parts of the game. So that was a way for me to, mm-hmm. even just as, like, little trophies that you would earn. Um, so that was a way for me to kind of just get this, you know, uh, conveyor belt full of Pokemon stuff that I was otherwise kind of on the outside of. And I, every time you would get one, you would just look at it and go, like, oh, that's so neat. <laughs> They're so just, it, it, you know, yeah. imaginative and cool. I think I, I, you know, this is a basic one to like, but I like Squirtle. Uh, I, I just think that this like yeah. cute little turtle with this like plant turret on its back is so like charming. Yeah. Yeah. Squirtle was always really cool. You know, the starters, all of them are pretty basic. You know, you have a fire lizard, you have a, a little dinosaur with a plant on its back, and then you have a turtle that can shoot water. Um, they're all super cute, really good, um, really good designs. Uh, speaking of Smash Brothers, Pikachu has been my favorite uh, Smash Fighter for my entire life. Uh, through every Smash mm. game, I've always loved playing as Pikachu the most. So again, Pokemon. Yeah, he's <laughs> always uh, a good choice for that game because he can just summon up lightning, which it ties yeah. into. We we did an episode on Street Fighter Two, and my character there was Blanca, who I'd always play as. That that was my favorite one again because you could electrify yourself and kind of insulate yourself mm-hmm. from your opponent's attacks that way. But yeah, they they felt. I mean, they're obviously a natural fit for something like Smash Brothers because that's what they do in the game. You fight, you you pit your Pokemon against somebody else's character. Right. So uh, they do feel at peace there. There there are some though that like keep trying to shove Jigglypuff into those games, and it's like it can barely move, it can barely fight, <laughs> it can sort of put an enemy to sleep for a little bit if they get close, and she happens to start singing at the right time, and that's it's uh-huh. like. I always like yeah. I always like playing as Jigglypuff because um, there's a probably a subconscious thing since I was a kid where if you got beat by Jigglypuff, that was a little bit of a, <laughs> a shameful uh, result. So I always like playing as Jigglypuff uh, to give that to other people. <laughs> okay. Not that I'm like super great at Smash Brothers or something, but you know. Yeah. I, I don't think, I, I guess some people are great at it. I feel like that's a game where you can have a lot of fun just mashing buttons and, and getting by. Yeah. But they, yes, they, they appear there. We haven't really talked too much about the show, which is now in yeah. its run for whatever 19 seasons or something it's it's been on ever since in some form mm-hmm. or another which is is crazy to me considering how little plot there is to these games mm-hmm. they're you know i haven't watched the show in like 15 years at least but they they seem to just be following storylines from the games like you know each game takes place in a new region so the show goes to that region you catch the poke ash catches the pokemon that are in the region from the new game and they've kind of set themselves up with like a framework at least even though the games don't have really good stories at all uh they have a framework for every new season of the anime uh, because there's a new game every 3 years or something like that so they're constantly getting new pokemon to showcase new regions to go to new characters to talk to to prepare for this podcast, I watched episode one of the anime this afternoon and I cried during it, which tells <laughs> me I still have intense mm-hmm. nostalgia for the Pokemon anime. There's nothing like super emotional happening in it. It was just like, oh my God, my childhood. 
like that. It's a neat, I mean, that's why I started this show is that, that neat feeling of like revisiting some of this stuff. And um, I'm curious, was there a specific moment in, I watched it as well. Is there a specific moment in there that like, you know, push that button? It was, uh, it was the, it's, and it's like the cheesiest, corniest, worst part of the episode, in my opinion, when the Spiros are attacking and Ash stands up in front of them and he's like, Spiros, do you know who I am? I'm Ash from the town of Pallet. I'm destined to be the world's number one Pokemon master. I can't be defeated by the likes of you. I'm going to capture and defeat you all. You hear me? Pikachu, go inside the Pokeball. It's the only way. Come and get me! And I'm sitting here, like, um, during my work-from-home time, watching Pokemon with, like, tears welling up in my eyes, like, you are going to be a Pokemon Master, Ash. And he just did. He just won, finally. Um, I don't know if you heard that, but after however many years it's been, I'm not going to try and do math right now, but what, 25 years of Ash being on TV, 19 seasons, you said he finally won the championship and they're going to retire Ash and start with a new protagonist in the next, uh, season I heard. So Ash can finally rest. Well, I'm I'm trying to think, I remember he's supposed to be like 10 years old in that pilot. Oh yeah. He's. He's been 10 years old for 25 oh, years. Oh, he, he has yeah. not aged, which would, which would be funny in its own right. I think, you know, here he is, this like 51-year-old Pokemon master going like, oh, what am I going to do with myself now? What's my second act? He's, a, he's Joel from The Last yeah. of Us going out catching Pokemon, battling 10-year-olds, yeah. you know? It was interesting to revisit that because that is a, like, there's a period of, like, late 90s anime that this is sort of like... Mm-hmm if you were going to show someone an example of what that was like, I think you would show them this. My, my anime mm. experience when I was a kid were things like Voltron, like, you know, stuff that was a bit older. Uh, obviously that, that's, you know, early eighties mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, but this doesn't feel very dissimilar from that. Like they, that once they hit that style, it kind of stayed the same for a really long time. Um, I think anime has evolved a lot over the years Mm -hmm. so that when people tell you like, Oh, I'm into anime, I'm into, you know, neon Genesis Evangelion or or stuff like that. I I haven't watched it, but I'll assume that yes, this is different because anime got super tropey. So when usually people say I'm that they dislike anime, it's because they've, once you've seen one of these cartoons, you've kind of seen them all from this, like this particular mold of, of anime. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I consider myself someone who doesn't like anime and it's mostly an aesthetic thing. I am positive that they tell stories that I would really love. It's just the aesthetics of it are something that I don't jive with. And, you know, honestly, I don't watch that much TV anyway. So it's just, it's just not going to happen. But back then my favorite thing in the world was Pokemon. And then when I found out they had a Pokemon show, I was all in And then that opened the door to watch Dragon Ball Z, which was on TV right after the Pokemon show. I remember because I would literally get off the school bus and have like two minutes to run inside and turn on the TV before Pokemon came on. Then Dragon Ball Z was on after that, and I enjoyed that show. I'm not sure I would enjoy it if I watched it again, but I loved it back then. Um, And yeah, it it was all Pokemon. Like, watch the show when the show's over, play the games. You know, when it's my birthday or Christmas, I, 
I want cards every time we go to uh, like uh, like Target or Walmart or something. I ask my parents to get me a pack of cards. It was like the full experience. I don't know what else I was doing. Um, we got an N64 and one of the first games I wanted was Pokemon Stadium when that came out. Because then, because I think Pokemon really hit like um, a part of like childlike imagination because the games didn't have like great animation like the show did. So when you saw the show and you saw them fighting, you wanted a game with that. I did. I wanted a game uh, with better graphics during the fights and better animations. And then Pokemon Stadium came out in... 2000 maybe 1999 without checking something like that and it was exactly what i wanted uh, you had n64 graphics like pretty good graphics for the n64 if i say if i can say so and um you got to live out these fights in higher definition and it was a blast and i love that too so it's like tv game boy n64 cards everything pokemon movies energy everything yeah. You know the you, the animation thing that I remember uh, that sticks out of my mind is oddly the uh, the South Park episode where they parodied uh, Pokemon pretty hard. Uh, as oh yeah, Chin Chin Pokemon, Chin Pokemon, <laughs> which uh, is racist and you know is as is most of South Park. But one of the funny yes. things in it, um, first of all, it was interesting to watch that contemporaneously and realize like. You know, even though I'm not the person who's following Pokemon religiously, like I'm able to mm -hmm. get every joke in the episode because it was just that ubiquitous. Like you, you knew all of these reference points, even if you never laid a, a mm -hmm. eyes on Pokemon. But they, the Chin Pokemon that they come up with are really funny. Someday I will collect all the Chin Pokemon, then I will fight the evil power that will reveal itself once all the Chin Pokemon are collected. Oh. Mm -hmm. No, Kitty, you can't have these chicken tenders because they are mine and I keep mine to myself. Uh-huh. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for another inexplicable episode of Chimpokomon. Hooray! Hey, kids, do you love Chimpokomon? Yes. Well, now you can buy your very own. I've got to buy Chimpokomon. I've got to buy it. I've got to buy it. Now you can collect them all. Furry Cat, Donkey Tron, Penguin, Shoe, Lamb Toy. Collect them all and you can become Royal Crown Chimpoko Master. Royal Crown Chimpoko Master? Holy sh! All the Chimpoko Manor in stores now. Chimpokomon is Super Yurabu Toy number one. Got to buy it, Chimpokomon! And my favorite one, of course, is shoe, which is just a shoe. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, like, well, that, that feels that feels like a funny joke. And then I went today. And I'm like, I'm going to look up what are some of the weirder Pokemon. And it's like, that's not far off from some of the really odd right. ones. There's one that's like, he's like a pile of garbage. Like that. He's like garbage -a -mon or something. Yep. There are multiple Pokemon now that are based on ice cream, um, like multiple lineages of Pokemon that are based on ice cream now. So like I said, they've, they kind of, and I don't know if it's just cause I'm older now and I care more than I, than a 10 year old would care about this stuff, but I do feel like they're kind of running out of ideas. And especially with some of the legendary Pokemon now, they, they look like nothing to me. Like I kind of enjoy their role in the games as these super powerful things, but just looking at the legendaries from Scarlet and Violet, um, I'm like, I don't know what that is. That's, it's a motorcycle Pokemon. Very strange to me. Um, one thing about the animation, I want to, I wanted to talk about this with the anime. Um, the thing, I think the thing that hooked me 
the first time I watched it is at the very beginning of the first episode of the anime is the intro from the Game Boy game. Right. With Nidorino and Gengar fighting with the Game Boy graphics. It's the it's the cinematic that plays when you boot up Pokemon Red and Blue. And it plays for a few seconds and then it transitions into the anime fight. And it's like your imagination when you're a kid seeing that of like what's actually happening. It's two sprites just bouncing back and forth on the Game Boy. But your imagination has literally come to life on the show. And it was such a cool thing to see. And it was like, there's no chance I'm like not going to watch this. I have to keep watching this. Yeah, that was one of my favorite touches in that episode. I thought that was actually really clever in terms of Mm -hmm. having it feel like, yes, your, your, your little video game is coming to life. And yes. you're going to get to explore that world. And I don't think they did that in subsequent episodes. I think it's just for that one moment. It's just the first yeah. one. Yeah. Cause Ash is watching it on TV. Just, you know, kind of like us. Yeah. I, I really loved that. I thought that was really fun because that was one of the things about, you know, those primitive games um, from that era is I, I tend to really, but maybe it is nostalgia that I like games with those aesthetics, these like big blocky pixels and stuff. But there's something fun about the idea of like, you know, on a PS5, you can render whatever you want, right? You, you, whatever your imagination comes up yeah. with, we can put that visual in front of you. And everything you do mm-hmm. on an NES or an SNES or a Game Boy, you have to find a way to get that across with it, with a lot of hands tied behind your back. And so there's something mm-hmm. always really fun about like, oh, you know, you were able to convey this emotion or this image within this li- with these limitations, and my, as a kid, your imagination would fill in the rest of the gaps. So yep. when you were you know, playing these things, your imagination as a kid would be running wild with what it would be like to explore these worlds, talk to these characters or meet mm-hmm. these creatures. And uh, yeah. Pokemon definitely taps into that. And the way they did that in the show was like, yeah, they just they absolutely just hit that right on the head. Yeah, it, this this game captured by imagination more than any other game I had ever played. Like, so I played some sports games. I remember playing a Batman game. Um, I loved the Power Rangers before Pokemon. So there was a Power Rangers movie game that I played on the Game Gear. That was probably my favorite game before Pokemon came out. Um, but all of those, like, they didn't capture my imagination. I had fun playing it because I liked the Power Rangers, but it didn't like capture my imagination in the same way. I didn't like dream of myself being in the Power Rangers world. Whereas after Pokemon came around, that was like my number one, might still be my number one answer to that question of like, you know, if you could live in any game world or any fictional world, which world would you live in? And my answer would have been Pokemon for the longest time until you start to realize that 
nearly every Pokemon is a, a weapon of mass destruction right. walking around and it would be terrifying. Right. I, you know, I, uh, so I grew up in, I'm from Southern California. So I have a lot of nostalgic uh-huh. memories and current memories of going to Disneyland. That that was, you know, a big thing to do all the yeah. time. And I have very, I still have, when I go on Pirates of the Caribbean, even to this day, when I go on that ride, if you've never been on it, the first thing that happens is you, you go, you're in this boat, they drop you down, you know, a cliff in the dark and you wind up in this piratey treasure cave and the, Mm -hmm. the design work and the exquisite detail that goes into that cave and every object in it is incredible. And even as a kid, I was always like, all I want is for this ride to break down. Let me get off of this boat and go up close and examine things and walk around and explore this pirate cave because it looks fucking awesome. And yeah, I think I love video games because that is the closest you get to being able to do something like that where you can get off. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, you are still within this cave, right? There's still there. Are, there are boundaries to the game space. But within that, they let you explore and wander and, and experience things. And so. Pokemon is the perfect example like that that game is we're going to let you wander around this world and you're going to find a ama- no matter where you go there's good, there's going to be at least one Pokemon there's there there is something fun for you to find in this space uh, I I just mm-hmm. that's one of the things I just love about games so much is because they let you have that emotional like ah yes let me do it let me get off the ride and go walk around Yeah exactly and that, that that's why one of the best things a video game can do for me is to let me explore and then reward me for exploring. Give me something cool as a reward for my efforts in exploring. And that reward can be any number of different things, but as long as it's rewarding to me personally, it will lift that game up so much above a game that either doesn't let me explore or doesn't like reward me enough, you know? Well, there's definitely that feeling of like, you know, yeah, I, 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 I climbed up this cliff face. I did all these impossible things, you know, to get here. And all I got was this lousy t-shirt, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That is a, a definite fail for a lot of games. And it's tough because it's a balancing act because on the one hand, you, if you put something really cool behind an impossible challenge, it can be frustrating because you're like, fuck man, I just want to get that thing. I have to go through all of this work to get it. Right. On the other hand, mm-hmm. if you do yep. go through all of the work and then all you get is then then it's also a slap in the face. So it's really, really a, a difficult kind of dance yeah. to do that correctly in the design. Yeah, it, it's tough. And, you know, Pokemon games are very linear, at least up until Scarlet and Violet. I didn't play that yet, but they're very linear things, but they always have little offshoots and you can spend as much time as you want going through the grass trying to find new Pokemon um, they usually have at least a couple of optional levels. Even Pokemon Red and Blue had some optional places you could go. And there were legendary Pokemon to find, which that was the coolest thing when I was a kid. There's the three legendary birds in Red, in red Blue, and Yellow. And finding those and then trying to catch those and being able to tell your friends, like, yeah, I caught all three of them. Because uh, in those old games... Um, if you missed the chance, like if you, if you killed it in battle or if you died, well, not if you died, if you ran away from it or something, that's the one chance you got. So they were actually quite difficult to catch if you didn't save scum. Uh, once you learn that trick, you get it. But back then it was some kind of like bragging rights too. 
uh, that like I explored this place. I found the bottom of the seafoam islands. I caught Articuno down at the bottom. I like, I have this. Did you have this? Did you do this? It was cool. Yeah. And were those based on like, was it just like luck of the draw once you got down there or the, it, it was there to be found if you pulled it off? No, they're there. Okay. They're there. They're, they're the, there are only four Pokemon in red, blue and yellow I, or red and blue, I believe that are like sprites on the level that you walk up and interact with to start the battle. The three birds and then Mewtwo, if I'm remembering right. And so those were not random, but if you killed it on accident or if you ran out of Pokeballs or something, that was your one shot. So you turn your Game Boy off. um, Try it again. And start over (laughs) or just live on with the fact that you, you failed, I guess. Ouch. So I was worried it was going to be something more like the pink tail um from final fantasy 2 do you know what that is no but is it is it a random oh, thing it is and it sucks uh so in <laughs> so in final fantasy 4 technically to in the u.s um there is this item that you can get that is a it's a crafting item that you use to make a very powerful weapon to get it you have to go into mm-hmm. this random room in the last dungeon of the game so it's full of hard enemies and it's all random encounters final fantasy style and if you're mm-hmm. if you're just so you wander around this room that's like four by four tiles and you have so enemies will attack you randomly. If that happens, you have a one in 64 chance of running into this peculiar enemy type. That's the only one of its kind. Of the oh, game. yeah. And then you fight the thing. And if you beat it, which is not they're not hard to beat, but you beat it. It's a bit of a, a slog. You have a only a one in sixty four chance of getting it to drop the item. <laughs> so whatever one over sixty four uh, times one over sixty four is, those are your odds in any given enemy encounter of getting this stupid thing that you don't really need to beat the game. But it, it's a like a mm-hmm. notorious like fuck you to to people because it's not even one of those things. It's a playground rumor. It is confirmed. It is there. Uh, but you yeah. would have to suffer through, yeah. unless you're very lucky, you would have to s- just suffer through endless rounds of mindless combat to get this thing. So I, I was wondering if there were Pokemon. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's some level of like, yep, you just got to wait and get lucky and see if it happens. Not really. The The closest thing is in gold and silver, the legendary um, cats or dogs, whatever they are. In that game, they they roam the map. And so you have to find them one time randomly, which will probably happen throughout the course of the game. And then you can check in the Pokedex. It will show you what area a Pokemon lives in. And so it will show you what area those things are in right then. So if you happen to be in that area, then you could encounter them again. And if you damage them, they'll carry the damage until the next encounter. But there is an element of randomness to that, but not in the original game. And nothing to that level so. of like, oh, God. Okay. No, no. You were telling me that story, and I was reminded of when I played Earthbound recently, and Earthbound has some things for some equipment for poo, I think, that is like, yeah, you have a one in 128 chance of uh, this tough enemy dropping it. And I'm like, fuck, I'm not doing that. I will continue without that. Yeah. Even though poo doesn't have any equipment right now, I will live. Yeah, there there are plenty of things like that that as game design have gone on, has evolved over the years. Thankfully, a lot of that stuff has fallen away. <laughs> Uh, precisely right, because thankfully. of that, yeah. yeah. She was like, why, "Why would I ever do this? This is it, you know, pri- primary question. If you're designing a game, is it fun to do this? 
<laughs> yeah. Why would someone do this besides obsessive completionism? Or masochism, yeah. Um, so we've talked about the games a bunch in the show. Uh, let's talk about the movies a little bit. Are there any Pokemon movies that you enjoyed? Um, the first movie was an event. It was um, one of those things that like, I, I don't know if we went the opening night, but I know the theater was packed and we had to get there you know, during the first week or something like that, because they were doing an event where they were giving out a movie-only card if you got a ticket for the movie. So they they tied that in. And the movie was so cool because it was focused on Mewtwo, who you read some lore about in the first game, and then you got to catch it at the end. But And it was super strong. It's the strongest one in the original game. But other than that, you didn't get a bunch of like... You didn't get a ton of story. You just knew it was powerful and it's a powerful Pokemon. And the first movie is centered around Mewtwo and how powerful it is. It mind controls everybody for the entire movie. It's, it's ridiculous. And I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but there's a super emotional scene that gets, it's been almost memed at this point where even if you didn't watch the movie, I feel like lots of people, if you're on the internet a lot, you've seen the scene where Ash is literally punching Mewtwo with his own fists trying to defeat it. Um, and then Mewtwo turns Ash to stone and Pikachu cries during the movie. And I'm like 11 years old in the theater, like crying my eyes out during that. So I remember that. It is useless to challenge me. It's not going to end like this, Mewtwo. We won't let it. You're mine. But it was very cool to have a new story because the anime is following the root of the game. And so this is a new story, a totally new story. It's not in the games at all. And you had like all of your favorite Pokemon in there. They did away with all like the, you know, each episode of the anime introduces like one new Pokemon or something like that. In the movie, they're all there, not all 150, but there's so many of them. And so it was like everything you could have wanted. It had a story. The story is probably one of the better stories in the Pokemon universe. Yeah. Loved it. Loved it so much. You know, I think that's really smart of that. I mean, again, depending on how you look at it, smart, savvy, uh, exploitative. But like, you know, they, they tie it in to, you know, you want to get this special Pokemon card for going to the movie. They want to make sure you, yeah. they're always kind of hitting you with this like exclusive, like you, you got to be participating in this. You know, it's not just, it's not yeah. passive. I, I have not I think I've seen clips of that movie here and there. I can't remember the scene you're talking about because again that was sort of wrong age, wrong time. But it reminds me a lot of uh something from from my generation would be the Transformers movie because similar mm-hmm. thing of like, you know, we're going to create an event around this hyper popular property and in that movie like mm-hmm. they kill Optimus Prime in the movie. <laughs> Like in the first, like at the end of yeah. the first act of the movie, he's dead. And it's like this, 
like crazy, just like, oh my God, you killed the main character of this franchise. And I think he's mm-hmm. not the only one. I think they kill other major Transformer characters within the, the continuity of that movie. And then you have the weird fact that Orson Welles is the bad guy in his last role, which lost <laughs> on me as a kid, but like very weird. The, you know, the, the, yeah. the end of that guy's career trajectory is very, very strange compared to where it started. But yeah, there's this, this there's this like world of movies that are like you think of like Disney movies that are like kind of for everybody and, you know, children of all ages and stuff. And then there's this stuff, which is like this is not for children of all ages. This is for children ages, you know, six through eleven. You know, this is that's our right. people. And uh, those things are are interesting as nostalgia bait because of like, you know, if you weren't the right age. For the, you know, I couldn't imagine, um, you know, a person who, who's 27 seeing that Pokemon movie for the first time and having the intended experience. You know, it's just not there. Yeah, pro- probably not. Um, I like I haven't seen that movie in a long time, like I said, but I can imagine that it's uh, it's children's media and I would react to it the same way I react to most children's media. Um, I probably still cry at the end because like I said, I, I cried during the first episode of the anime this afternoon. So it's possible, uh, but it would be, you know, reaching those nostalgia feelings. Um, the events that you talk, that we, uh, we talked about. So they gave away the card with the movie, uh, movie ticket, but Pokemon always did events for, uh, giving away Pokemon. So, there was the 151st Pokemon Mew that was only obtainable through going to an event, like an official Pokemon event, and they would transfer you the Pokemon. Um, at the time, I grew up in Ohio. They didn't have that event in Ohio. It was like you had to go to New York City to get one. And I was like, "Should we? Go, can we go to New York City so I can get a Pokemon? And my parents are like, no, we're not going to New York. A thousand miles, um, kid. No, but they did. They did uh, other events at like Toys R Us would have a bunch of Pokemon events where if you went there during the time, you could get a special card or you could get uh, a special Pikachu in the game that knew a special move. Um, they were constantly doing stuff like this to keep people engaged because they they knew they had people totally hooked by it. So it was nonstop probably exhausting for my parents <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm sure i'm kind of waiting my my kids are almost four and seven they'll be four and seven next month and as yet mm-hmm. they no, no kind of obsession has hit them on that level um, there's things that they obviously they really right. like and they gravitate towards but there's been nothing on the level of like i gotta collect all the whatevers you know and pokemon is still out there waiting right. for them to find it my daughter's best friend uh, is really into Pokemon and that has not transferred you. They, I mean, they're thick as thieves, like they love everything together. And so my daughter had to get the same Pikachu mm-hmm. dress that her friend has, mm-hmm. but she hasn't like glommed onto the rest of the pro. Like I was like, Hey, I'm going to watch this episode of Pokemon for, for the show. You know, Charlotte loves Pokemon. And she was like, nah, and she wasn't interested. So I'm waiting whether <laughs> if this is the thing she discovers, whether it's a brand new property that kind of just comes around that she finds, uh, or or an old one, but mm-hmm. I I know that as a parent, at some point there is going to be buy me this, daddy, <laughs> take me to this thing, you know, um, and yeah. it'll be really interesting to see how you know she goes through that phase. Yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting how like kids go through that, and it's just it may just be like whatever's in the water at that time, but of course Pokemon has always been in the water now since then. Like your kids have grown up their entire lives, Pokemon has been the biggest franchise 
on the planet. Um, maybe MCU is like more in or was, I don't really know if MCU is still dominating the way they were five years ago, but it's interesting how kids these days grow up and Pokemon is just a part of media now. Whereas then it like for me personally, it was um, Power Rangers and Transformers and some, some people like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and then Pokemon hit and it was like, everyone loves Pokemon. Right. So yeah, I, I wonder like, is there, of course there's probably space, but there's so many things to compete with now to take over at that magnitude, right? Yeah, our pop culture has been kind of democratized and spread out, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you don't have the Mm -hmm. same kind of like, you know, this is your pipeline for stuff, right? This is what's on the radio. This is what's on the handful (laughs) of TV stations, right? This is what's in the movie theaters. Mm -hmm. And because we don't quite have that monoculture anymore, um, it, it means it's harder for a property to break through and become the next big thing. But kids, mm-hmm. kids being kids, I, I just can't imagine there isn't you know a company trying to develop a thing, or that it will organically kind of come around, because all of a sudden, like you know, you notice that like, hey, all the kids are like, it, you know, they're all into Bakugan now or whatever the thing is, like it, it, yeah. it happens, it, it'll just happen, and and because kids want to do whatever their friends are into they will, mm-hmm. even if they're not into it, they're, they're going to get into it uh, just to be part of the the, yeah. the group. Yeah, I suppose that that did happen, you know, with stuff like Roblox and Minecraft and stuff like that that just came about when I was too old for it. And so it, you know, it happened without me noticing, really. You know, some people I know played Minecraft, but I became a uh, teacher in 2015 and all the students that I taught played Minecraft, whether they still played it or not, they all grew up playing it. So it's, um, I guess it still is happening. Just maybe not the multimedia assault with Minecraft the same way that Pokemon was. It'll happen. I, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm curious to see what it is, uh, and, and what it'll be like. And, uh, hopefully it won't be so schlocky that I'll have to step in and go like, Hey, we got to pick something else for you to play with. Um, I'm hoping I can (laughs) indulge. I want to indulge that. I want, I want my kids to have that thing that they just get super of course i want them to to have that uh we're we're kind of rounding in here to the end we're running out of time but uh dave any um kind of closing thoughts on on pokemon and and why you think it has endured the way it has even still through today yeah i i think it's still endured the way it has number one because there are still children and pokemon is still i think very effective at capturing the minds of children uh, but I, I still think that like even people like me who I'm, you know, 34, I'm past the target age for new Pokemon games. I still have that like innate desire to play Pokemon because it, it has this childlike aspect to it, this collecting, this discovery, this, you know, uh, going through this, I still think it's a really interesting idea for a world. So every time there's a new Pokemon game, generally I still play it. I don't buy it on day one, but I'm still, I'm going to play Scarlet and Violet because I hear they're doing interesting things. You know, Pokemon Legends Arceus came out last year. I bought that on day one because it, it was a new exploration of the world of Pokemon the way they hadn't done before. So the draw of the world exploring, seeing new Pokemon is still 
totally there for me. And I know there's lots of people like me, uh, same age, older, a little bit younger, all the way down to kids just discovering Pokemon for the first time. I still think it's got that magic and it's just a testament to how, how good of an idea it was at the very beginning that it hasn't really changed that much. The games have not changed aside from some quality of life. And now the newest one is open world, but the core thing about Pokemon is still exactly the same as it was. And it's just a, a testament to how good of an idea it was, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I, you know, I, there's certain kinds of things for kids that get rebooted over and over again because they're trying to recapture magic from before. And like you mentioned Ninja Turtles, for example. I don't know if modern Ninja Turtle stuff mm-hmm. is any good, but I feel like they're still chasing that high from 1987. And, you know, saying you know, this yeah. cartoon was a monster hit. We have to do it again. We have to bring it back. But I don't know if there's anything intrinsically you know, special about the Ninja Turtles that makes that happen. But Pokemon, I, you know, even I, who was not into it when in the old days or when it first came out, like I recognize like they it's like they solved an equation. You know, they they yeah. they, they innovated something rather than just created something. They actually came up with this thing that is perfectly engineered to appeal to a child's sense of both like wonder and exploration and mastery mm-hmm. of something uh, while still being like cute and fun. And because of that, like, yeah, it's like, we don't, all these other things that have come around like Yu-Gi-Oh and things, they sort of came and went because it's sort of like, well, we already have Pokemon for that. Like it, it, it filled a niche. And so it's sort of here to stay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, other franchises, you look at something like, you know, Mario is another good example of like, yeah, he's their mascot character. He's not going anywhere. But also like, you know, a Mario game is like, this is the perfect expression of what it feels like to go jumping and exploring through a world that's more about that kind of an experience. Um, So, you know, Mm -hmm. my kids know exactly who Mario is, you know, even though he's been around since, you know, what, 84, you know, so. um, Mm -hmm. There's something really cool about something that, yes, you can feel nostalgic for it, but it's still here now. Like it didn't, it's not like it's just something that went away and we're like, remember fondly, like it's still with us and for, and for right. good reason. Um, so I, I really appreciate you coming on here, Dave. This was so much fun um, to have, especially to have a subject matter expert on something that I know nothing about really. <laughs> uh, so um, yeah. I, I did mention your, your uh, Tales from the Backlog show. Anything else you want to plug uh, while you're here? Well, first of all, just um, I appreciate you letting me come on to talk about Pokemon, even though it's something that you don't have nostalgia for, um, because uh, maybe you don't have nostalgia for it. But I think there's going to be lots of people listening who have uh, as much or more nostalgia for it um, as I do. But uh, so, I mean, I do a podcast called Tales from the Backlog. It's a weekly video games review podcast, as the name might suggest. It's doing backlog games mostly. A couple, you know, maybe less than 10 new releases per year. And um, the thing about that show that I think makes it stand out a little bit is it is a deep dive review with no spoilers for a while. So let's say I do an episode about Disco Elysium. Um, If you haven't played Disco Elysium, you can listen to my episode. We have a deep discussion about it with no spoilers, mechanics and story and all of that stuff. Then there's a spoiler wall afterwards comes the spoiler talk i mean i wanted people to be able to listen to a podcast about a game where it describes in detail what makes it tick uh, without being spoiled and I, um, so that's the main thing i do 
I do another show called a top three podcast, which is uh, much simpler. We do top three lists and we've been doing that for a couple years. That's me and my buddies from high school doing top three lists. Um, it's a little more lowbrow, but we have a good time. Uh, you know, who doesn't love a good top three list? Yeah, I think that's a great uh, show. And I've been listening to your Tales from the Backlog show and it is uh, easily easy to recommend. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. Um, so I think that'll do it for our episode on Pokemon. If, uh, if you like the show, of course, go to wherever you found your podcast and drop a nice review. That is very much appreciated. Uh, you know how to do that because I'm sure you've heard a podcast before. And if you want to send us feedback, you can tweet it to at Nostalgium Pod. And we're also, uh, you can find Nostalgium Arcanum on Instagram as well. Those are our two online locations. So if you have things to say about Pokemon or some of our other recent episodes, uh, which include Gremlins and Animaniacs. Uh, send that there. We also have some stuff coming down the pike. Uh, we're, we're working on doing a DuckTales episode, which will be fun. We're going to do one on my so-called life. Uh, we've got a lot of irons in the fire, so good things uh, are all planned for uh, the next few months. So uh, thank you very much, and until next time, that is one more entry in the Nostalgia Arcana. Throws it!